أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا وحبيب قلوبنا وشفيع ذنوبنا وطبيب نفوسنا أبي القاسم المصطفى محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين واللعنة الدائم على أعدائهم أجمعين من الآن إلى قيام يوم الدين السلام عليكم dear brothers and sisters I hope everyone is doing well inshallah and welcome to another episode of our tafsir of Dua Kumail podcast in the last episode as we are coming closer and closer to the end of the Dua we reach this point of the Dua where Ali ibn Abi Talib after he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be amongst the closest of servants to him after he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have the most proximity towards him and we spoke about how this reflects his high aspirations in his dua and how he matches those high aspirations with a high level of effort, a high level of working for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be amongst the best servants of his. And then he said this, فَإِنَّهُ لَا يُنَالُ ذَلِكَ إِلَّا بِفَضْلِكَ I am asking you all of this and the reason why I'm asking for it is because I know that this is not achievable only through my effort. It's not achievable only through me wanting it to happen. Rather, it has to be coupled with your fadl, with your mercy. And we dissected this and talked about this a little bit more in depth and we explained how everything that we do, every good thing that we do, there are two aspects of it that we can't really take credit for. The first aspect of it is the fact that uh, you know, when we're doing this good deed, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who helps us to do it to begin with. Sometimes that help is manifested through the tools that we use that He has given to us, whether it's my, my physical abilities, my intellect, my strength, my youth, whatever the case may be. And also in the sense of giving me the tawfiq and the opportunity to act upon that good deed. So even when I do the good deed, it's really not something that I did on my own. It's something that was accompanied with or by the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the first thing. The second thing that we also talked about is how this mercy also encompasses us even after you have completed this good deed because whatever good deed that you do complete, whatever good deed that you do have an opportunity to perform, it is never really enough. It never really stacks up or adds up to the standards of the one that you are doing the good deeds for. Meaning that if you want to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the worshipping of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to be done at a level that is worthy of Him, that's worthy of who He is, and you're not able to take care of that. And yet, the mercy and the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is such that He will allow even the small good deeds that you have done, right? And even the greatest of them, they're all small as it relates to what He is worthy of as it relates to technically what we should be offering to him, yes? But his mercy and grace will accept the little bit of effort that we make and will act as if and deal with us as if we have carried out his rights, right? We have acted upon the rights that he has upon us. And that's why we went through that hadith of the Prophet in which he said that the actions or the acts of worship that any of you do will never get you into heaven. And the companions were surprised and the Prophet said this is also applies to me as well. It's the rahmah and the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's at work here. So we moved on from those lines. 
And we reach this line, وَجَعَلْ لِسَانِي بِذِكْرِكَ لَهِجَا وَقَلْبِي بِحُبِّكَ مُتَيَّمًا And make it such that my tongue is continuously in remembrance of yours. It does not cease from remembering you. وَقَلْبِي بِحُبِّكَ مُتَيَّمًا And also make it such that my heart is enthralled, it's entangled with your love. So what Ali ibn Abi Talib is asking here is this, that I want to be the type of person who remembers you from an outward aspect or outward perspective, right? In an outward manner, but then also remembers you from an inner perspective as well. I don't want to be the type of person who only has one or the other, and I especially don't want to be the type of person who only remembers you outwardly and externally, but his heart isn't really there with you. We've all come across individuals who, in terms of their appearance, is an appearance that the moment you look at it, it reminds you of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In terms of, uh, you know, the tasbih that they have in the hand, the, the, the dhikr that they're mentioning, you look at this and you think of a person who is constantly remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the reality is, when you get to know them, and then you actually get to spend time with them, many times you will find their heart is not really there with that dhikr, right? What Ali ibn Abi Talib is saying is, I want that dhikr, but I want that dhikr to be coming and stemming from my heart. I want my heart to be on fire with your love, and then that pouring out and showing itself and expressing itself through the dhikr that I am saying. Right? So when you look at the ahadith of the Ahlul Bayt, they have talked about this in fact. That as much as they encourage their followers to be the type of person who does dhikr, to be the type of person who remembers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with their tongue, they always reminded them that, listen, that's not really the final goal. The final goal is for that remembrance on the tongue to make its way into your heart. So in the hadith of the sixth imam, and this is mentioned in the book of Al-Kafi, he says, مِنْ أَشَدِّ مَا فَرَضَ اللَّهُ عَلَى خَلْقِهِ ذِكْرُ اللَّهِ كَثِيرًا He says, one of the most difficult things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has asked His servants to do is to continuously remember Him. Not an easy thing to do. قَالَ لَا أَعْنِي And then he added, he said this, By the way, when I say it's difficult for someone to remember God 24-7, I'm not talking about just saying dhikr 24-7. That might be even easier. ثُمَّ قَالَ لَا أَعْنِي سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ وَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ وَلَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ أَكْبَرُ He said, I'm not just talking about just saying some phrases with your tongue. وَإِنْ كَانَ مِنْ Even though that is part of your dhikr. That's not really what I'm referring to. And then he explains what type of dhikr he's referring to. And this teaches us, brothers and sisters, that the dhikr that we speak of for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's of two types. There's the verbal type of dhikr, and then there is the type of dhikr that you do with your actions. And the second is much more stronger than the first. Both of them are great and wonderful. But the second is what really builds your spirituality. So Imam al-Sadiq here, he continues to explain. He says, Even though this the verbal affirmation of the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is part of dhikr. No problem with that. وَلَكِنْ ذِكْرَ اللَّهِ عِنْدَمَا أَحَلَّ وَحَرَّمْ what I meant was remembering God in the key moments, remembering God in the critical moments. And those are the moments when you come across something that is halal or something that is haram. You come across something that is wajib, you have to take care of, or something you come across that is absolutely haram. 
if someone remembers God in that critical moment and he does that wajib deed, that obligatory deed, this is the true remembrance. And the true remembrance is that when he comes across something that is haram, he is able to stay away from it. This is why Ali ibn Abi Talib says, yes, I want my tongue to remember you, but make it such that this, these phrases I'm mentioning make their way into my heart. Because if my heart is not there with these phrases, then the true remembrance, that's not taking place. And be gracious to me by answering and replying to my dua. Forgive my mistakes, forgive my shortcomings, my lapses. You had made this deal clear from the very beginning. What deal is this? He's going to start explaining it now. The first principle of this deal is this. Ya Allah, you made it clear from the very beginning that you want your servants to worship you. And you said, as long as they worship me, as long as they do ibadah of yours. Number one, and you commanded them to then pray to you and ask you for things. What's the other side of the deal? What's the side that God has promised if you take care of these two? And then you have agreed and you have guaranteed These are words that you used to guarantee something. If you look in the books of fiqh, they have a discussion as to when you take a loan, for example, right? Or when you have a debt towards someone, can you do dhiman? Can you bring forth someone else who can guarantee that you will pay this loan, right? Can you put forth something that that person can take and hold on to until you pay off your loan. So it's a form of guarantee. And you guaranteed for them that you would respond to their dua. Okay. So this dua of uh, this part of the dua is telling us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He has made such a deal with His servants. And of course, we find this in the verses of the Quran, which we will go to in just a second. But then this deal does have conditions. And when you look at these lines, there's two conditions here that are mentioned that many of us don't do. And this is part of the reason why when we pray, it seems as though there is no response from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number one, He said you have to worship Him. Well, are you worshiping Him? Or are you worshiping your desires? And the very basic and practical way to see that is, is there haram happening in your life? Because when you do haram, you're worshiping yourself. You're worshiping your desires, you're not worshiping God. right? So the first condition was you would worship him. And then if you would pray, he would listen to you. right? Well, that's the first condition. <laughs> We're not really acting upon that first condition. right? We're not fulfilling that first condition. And you also commanded them to pray to you, to ask you, but when you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this is mentioned in some ahadith by the way, when you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, are you from the bottom of your heart really asking Him? Or is it more of an approach where you look for other people to take care of your needs, right? But then, you know, in the back of your mind, you're like, let me just pray as well. Which one is that? Right? Because if it's the second one, you're not really asking Him. If it's the second one, what's really happening is that you're asking other people. You're not really relying on him. And we know in life and in the seerah of the Ahlul Bayt, 
as much as they asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course they brought their need or their request to other people as well. Not necessarily financial need, but if they wanted to get something done, they would use the help of others. They would use the assistance of others. So there's no doubt about that. But the reality is, what are you truly relying on at the, you know, in the bottom of your heart? Right? Deep down, what are you relying on? Because the hadith says, or this, this dua says, And you commanded them to pray to you, to ask you, but then you see some of us, we're not asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're asking other people, yes, as a formality. We raise our hand and we're like, okay, hopefully brother so-and-so can take care of my problem. But let me ask God too. You know, <laughs> so he, let's just have him as a second option. So you're not really asking him. So there are conditions to this uh, you know, this equation working that then that then the prayer of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will respond to our prayer. And there are some other conditions as well. So when you look at the verses of the Quran, they emphasize this idea that if you come to us and you sincerely ask us, we will respond to your prayer, right? And when my servants, Ya Rasulullah, come to you and they ask you of me, tell them, I'm close to them. Right? And I respond to the dua of whoever calls me. I'm there for them. And there's probably no verse of the Quran that is more direct and more, you know, unequivocal in its approach than the famous of the verse of the Quran, Udu'uni astajib lakum, pray to me and ask me, right? And I will respond to you. Now, the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might respond to us might be different at times. And this is, of course, a, a longer discussion. I'm just going to give a brief sense of what, you know, what happens when we don't see a response to our dua. But there's a number of options that might be happening. First of all, is that maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He doesn't see this in your best interest. So because of that, maybe He delays it. Maybe He gives it to you some other time when you're more mature, right? You know, a lot of times you might look at a situation, you might think you're ready for marriage right now and you wanna, you really want it to happen, right? And you want it to move forward. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows you're not mature. He knows that you won't be able to take the responsibility and the, just the frustration that comes with living with another person and sacrificing and compromising and all that kind of stuff. You're not ready for that, right? From his perspective. And so therefore it might not work today. Maybe it works two years down the road. That's the first one. Second one is sometimes because it's not in your best interest, right? Maybe he doesn't give you anything, but rather he removes a difficulty from you. He removes a bala from you. Someone was supposed to steal your car. Your car isn't stolen anymore. Your house, there was supposed to be a tornado. That tornado doesn't come anymore or it doesn't affect you anymore and so on and so forth. Number three, and that is that if a dua is asked for and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not respond, in that way that we are asking for it, maybe he delays it to the next world. And we have a hadith about this as well. That a mu'min, a special servant of God, will pray and pray, but he will see no response. And when he sees no response, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells his angels, I am holding on to the reward of this servant of mine for the next world. Because what I have in mind for him in the next world is so much greater than what I could ever give him in this world, I'd rather have him have a difficult life in this world and instead have something wonderful waiting for him in the next world. I'll just point this out and we'll move on from this, that out of the people, when you look at amongst our Imams, right, 
and you look at those who were known for their du'as, there are two individuals in particular amongst the Ahlul Bayt who are known for their du'as. The first is Ali ibn Abi Talib and the second is Imam al-Sajjad with his Sahifa Sajjadiyah, right? And you look at the life of Imam al-Sajjad, he is the one who prayed the most, right? You could you could make that, that argument at least. Or maybe you could say, you know, he is known for his du'a. At least during the time of his own people, you can say that he was the one who used to pray the most, right? Sayyidu al-Sajideen, Zaynul al-Abideen, right? The beauty of those who worship. So imagine what he's doing. And with all of this prayer, then you look at his life. From a worldly perspective, you would refer to that life as a, you know, if you didn't know he was an imam and, you know, all the high and lofty goals he has, you would look at that life and you say it's a miserable life. It's a difficult life, right? What life is this that it starts out with Karbala, right? And then with this, with this, uh, this ghurbah and this loneliness and dealing with Bani Umayyah and whatnot. So dua, just because I pray, doesn't mean Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to give me what I want immediately. Sometimes He has something much better in mind for me. Sometimes that's in this world, sometimes it's not even in this world. It might be something that has to do with the next world as well. But the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hears your dua, there is no doubt about that. And amongst the ahadith that speak about this, there's one hadith that I want to share as we bring this uh, episode to an end, inshallah. And that is this, that a companion of Imam al-Rada comes to speak to him. He's known as, as al-Bazanti, a famous companion of Imam al-Rada. And this is mentioned in the book of Al-Kafi as well. He says, جُعِلْتُ فِدَاكِ إِنِّي قَدْ سَأَلْتُ اللَّهَ تَبَارَكَ وَتَعَالَى حَاجَةً مُنْدُ كَذَا وَكَذَا سَنَةً Beautiful hadith. I, you know, it's 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 uh, one of those hadith I I I've, I've connected with so much, and I really, uh, really, really enjoy reading it. He says, "I came to Imam al-Rada and I told him, Ya Ali ibn Musarrida, Ya Abul Hasan, I have been praying to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala for a haja for years and years. And now, bear in mind, before we go through the hadith, this is not easy. By the way, being patient with this is not an easy thing. I'm the first one to tell you that, right?" But at the end of the day, this is what the Ahlul Bayt want from us. He said, I have been praying for a haja mundu kada wa kada sana. You know, for this many years I've been praying for this haja. Something has entered my heart. And when they say that in Arabic, what they mean is, you know, I'm having doubts now. It's, it's creating some problems for me. I keep praying and there's no response. And it seems as though my dua is not being heard. Take a look at the response of Ali ibn Musa Rada. Look at how beautiful his response is. Tell me about yourself. Like, tell me the answer to this question. He said, Listen, O Bazantri, if I told you something, would you trust in what I had to say? If I gave you a promise, would you trust in what I had to say? And of course, Bazanti says, "Jo'altu fidak." Of course, may my life, you know, may I give my life for you. Wa idha lam athiq biqaulika, fa biman athiq. Of course, if you say something, I would take it, no doubt about it. If I don't take your word, whose word would I take? Right? Of course, if you gave me a promise, then of course I would take it a hundred percent. Then look at what Imam Rada did, and maybe Bazanti is now realizing the point that Imam Rada was making to him. He said, He said, then when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes a promise to you, then you should definitely take it, shouldn't you? 
What promise is this? He explains, فَإِنَّكَ عَلَى مَوْعِدٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ He has already made a promise to you, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٍ He's already made this promise to you, that whenever my servants raise their hands towards me, I'm there for them. So the idea is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always hears what we pray for. Now, does he give it to us immediately? No, not necessarily. In a beautiful hadith, I know we're going over time a little bit, but these are beautiful hadith that I really don't want to you know, leave out of, of this episode. In a beautiful hadith, right? Uh, the Ma'asum says, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's the Prophet, the Prophet He's speaking about how a mu'min, when he prays, he has to be patient with his dua. And then he says this, he says, you know, the verses of the Quran that say that Musa salam and Harun, they prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They said there's no more hope for Fir'aun. And he has been killing people. He has been misguiding people. Ya Allah, you have given him all of this wealth. He is misusing all of this wealth. Ya Allah, bring an end to this. They did a curse upon him, right? And we know that Fir'aun, he drowned and he died. Right? And even though he tried to do tawbah because it was too late, the tawbah was not accepted from him. But then the Prophet says this. What a beautiful point the Prophet makes. He says, from the time that Musa salam did that dua. And the verses of the Quran, by the way, say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Qala qad Your dua has been responded to. So not only did they know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala heard it, they were told that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala heard it. The Prophet says, from the moment that that dua was done by Musa and Harun, until the time that the Pharaoh actually drowned, there was a 40-year gap. 40-year period between the two. This is Musa salam, the purest servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at that time, praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. His dua is responded to per the verses of the Quran, and yet it takes 40 years for this to play out. What does this mean? This means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hears our du'as. Whether he acts upon it immediately or not, that's up to him and that's up to his wisdom. And many times he won't do that because it's not in our best condition. But this is not. This should not discourage one from continuing to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The amount of ahadith that we have when it comes to the concept of du'a, the etiquette of du'a, what you're supposed to, you know, what type of mindset you're supposed to have when you're doing du'a is much, much more than we would be able to cover in one or two or three sessions. But inshallah, maybe later on we'll have an opportunity uh, to discuss that. With that, inshallah, we'll bring this episode to an end until the next episode. Keep us in your du'as. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.